Thank you so much. Wow, that brings back memories. 93, 94, 94. The week we were at Institute, this ex-football player got into a white Bronco and started driving around the streets of L.A. The week we were at Institute. I only remember that because I almost got kicked out of Institute because I started a betting pool on when it would end. But anyway, that's a different story. That was, I was young, I was stupid, and it was fun though. But anyway, so uh, thanks for having me out here. This is fun. I'm glad you brought out a California boy. Um, It's always nice to be out here. Uh, uh, Of course, you guys are on East Coast time. I'm on Pacific Coast time. So welcome to the 7 a.m. service. (laughs) Saw some of you guys coming in chugging coffee and rock star drink. Where's my rock star drink, all right? <laughs> this is early, but uh, I'm glad to be here. This is fun. This is one of the uh, things I really love doing. I get an opportunity to travel quite a bit and speak and do school assemblies and this. And literally today, um, the venue where we're going to be talking with you guys this morning and then talking with parents this afternoon is the favorite thing. I, it's literally my favorite thing to do because uh, myself, a parent of three who are now 19, 21, 23, that, that means I'm a think, I think I'm officially old is what that means, but um, having kids out and looking at parents today who are just struggling and looking at the struggles that we have. And by the way, parenting ain't over when they're out of the house. <laughs> they're like little boomerangs. You send them out and they come right back. And... Uh, so I tell you, just going through this parenting journey has been such an amazing experience and working with young people for 25 years and then uh, while raising kids on your own, boy, I tell you, you think, you know, it's easy when you're raising somebody else's kids, but then with your own kids, that's, that's where it really gets tough. So to be able to share with you guys this morning and this afternoon and be able to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of youth culture and most importantly, how do we engage young people in conversations. Because this morning, we're not just talking to parents. We're talking to grandparents. We're talking to aunts and uncles. We're talking to teachers, mentors, coaches, anybody who cares about this generation of young people that are growing up listening to a world full of lies. And how do we raise young people in the truth when the lies are so abundant around us? And honestly, with all the research that's going on out there and all the different theories and everybody's trying to figure it out, and honestly, the one thing that they're all trying to figure out that nobody can figure out is this thing right here that's all in our pockets. Because this is the new thing. I mean, and honestly, this is, this is less than, in the last decade, people are trying to figure this out because it's only, it was literally 10 years ago that this little invention called an iPhone came out, 2007. And then you fast forward to 2012, America crossed the 50% mark for actually carrying these devices in our pockets instead of those old stupid devices we had. These smartphones, right? They're so smart. And at 2012, we crossed the 50% mark. Here, as we look now today, 2017, uh, over 80% of 12- through 17-year-olds are carrying these devices in their pockets. And I guarantee, after my parent workshop today, as parents are coming back and they're talking to me back by my book table and they're talking, every question will start with, okay, so my son's got this phone. Oh, my daughter was chatting with someone on social media. My son was playing this game. And every question has to do with technology, Because we live in a world where we're just trying to figure this stuff out. I traveled yesterday on a plane, which is growing increasingly dangerous. (laughs) I wasn't dragged off by any flight crew or didn't fight with any other passengers on the plane, by the way. It was kind of cool. That was a victory. Um, And uh, whenever you get off a plane, you get into a rental car. When you get into the rental car, the first thing I do is I look at the steering wheel. And the reason why I look at the steering wheel is there's always now new buttons on the steering wheel. Why? 
because our world is just trying to figure out this device right here. And we're trying to figure out how to not kill people because everybody's staring at this device instead of driving. So now we're inventing new buttons on the steering wheel to try to get people to push a button and talk through a phone, you know, so they'll stop picking up their phone. We're just figuring this stuff out. Honestly, a lot of it is just trial and error. A lot of us with parenting, it's trial and error. Our kids come up, can I download this app? I don't know. <laughs> it came out two days ago. It could be the best thing in the world or it could be junk. I have no idea. And this is tough. And so as parents, I've started to notice two extremes because on how parents respond who've got young people in the home. The first extreme would be the one that I would call the overly permissive parent. And the overly permissive parent would be, honestly, like way over here on this side over here. And the overly permissive parent is the one that realized just once that it's just much easier to just say yes. Because maybe they learned it because one time their kid asked them if they could do something. They said no. And man, World War III started, right? You know, well, Chris's mom lets us do that. And Chris's mom is, you know, at the church too. And, and you're like, you know Chris's mom. And you're like, you know. And, and, and you're sitting there, you know, trying to figure out. And well, come on. And just all this arguing and stuff. So finally, just out of maybe j- just, you know, a war of attrition, you just give up. And the next time they ask, you're just like, yes. And well, that was simple. That was really simple. So next time they ask you a question, yes. Next time, yes. And before you know it, you become the yes man, right? You become the yes parent. We More the friend parent. We call them the parent instead of the parent, right? The overly permissive parent. And we've seen examples of the overly permissive parent. And we've kind of seen how that's turned out. And, and, and it's funny because lots of times these overly permissive parents even look back and they're like, man, I, I, I wish I would have done it differently. If I had to do over again, I would have been the parent. I would have said enough is enough. And so a lot of us that have, that have kind of tried that route, and those of us who've seen that route of the just say yes, we're thinking, no, you know, I mean, a relationship's important, but at the same time, we need to raise our kids right. We need to raise them with values. So some of us, we go extremely to the other end, and we become the overprotective parent. And you guys all know who those people, you could point to them right now. They're sitting here in this room, all right? You know, the overprotective parent. That's the parent that says, I'll solve all this problem with technology. We're going to unplug it all. We're going to move to Amish, Pennsylvania, right? Where they have no problems out there. Well, I've been to Amish, Pennsylvania, and I spoke there many times. Matter of fact, I was just there a few months ago, and when I was there, the first thing I did is I thought, let me examine this, because the rest of the country always claims that that's, you know, where it's apparently this mecca of purity out in Amish, Pennsylvania, so I visited in Amish, Pennsylvania. It's funny, they've, they've got this fancy store, this French store called Target. And, uh, it, I was, and, and I went and I thought, let me visit it because it literally was like across the street from this Amish farm. You know? And so I went there and I visited and, and I thought I would just go in and, and check out what was going on. And, and I walked in the store and it was cool. There were some Amish people with their little kids, the little omelets, and they were walking through. And, and, it, it was, uh, and, 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 they were, and it was funny because they were, as they're standing at the checkout line, just like the rest of us, when you go to the checkout line, you know, you're buying food and, you know, and to your right, you know, there's candy bars and to your left, there's magazines and stuff. And I thought, well, it's pure here. So I, I looked at some of the magazines. I was looking to see, are they reading the same stuff that we're reading? And sure enough, they were. Went to the back of the store and there's 12 plasma screens, like on the back, or 10 plasma screens on the back playing music videos. And, and of course, you know, this is Amish, Pennsylvania, so only playing the most wholesome of content, of course, there. And the crazy thing is I was sitting there going, wait a sec, this is the exact same stuff. And then I taught my workshop, and as we're talking about this different stuff, it's funny, I literally had uh, people there, very conservative households, and they're saying, we're going through the exact same stuff. 
Because it's something that the overprotective parent soon eventually finds out is you can't block everything. And even if you try to block everything, eventually your kid turns 18 and either goes off to a, to a you know, army barracks or a, a, a dorm room or their own apartment. And you know what most of them do? They get one of these devices. And then what they have to do, they have to figure it out for themselves because mom or dad didn't help them. And so a lot of us as parents, we're sitting there going, wait a sec, this, this might not be good. And we've seen ultra-conservative households. There's this one household with this little girl. Her name's Katie Hudson. Katie grew up in the church singing. She loved singing so much that she grew up all through high school. Singing was her priority. As a matter of fact, Katie, as she got into high school, she found that her parents, who were very conservative, didn't let her go to her friend's house and watch those TV shows, didn't let her, you know, didn't let her listen to that music, watch those TV shows. So she snuck over to her friend's house and watched those TV shows and listened to that music. And then finally, when she turned age 18, she kind of did her own thing. And she tried the Christian music route, didn't work, so she went the secular route, changed her stage name, and a lot of us know the rest of the story. It's interesting how much we see this where parents are trying to whole, navigate this whole thing and figure it out. And honestly, it's tough. Some parents are going, Jonathan, I, I mean, I want a relationship with my kids. I want to build values. I want to protect them. But neither of those options look really good. What's this even look like? And it's funny. There's a lot of experts out there doing surveys on when it comes to social media and internet and all this stuff and, and, and how much parents are involved. And the most of parents basically aren't involved. Every survey out there shows that, as a matter of fact, only 50% of parents actually use parental controls on a device like this. Less than 50%, 46% have ever talked with their kids about their online profiles. In other words, if a kid is going to be on a Snapchat or an Instagram or whatever, which by the way, a lot of parents don't even have any idea. And a lot of parents don't even know that, for example, if you want to be on Snapchat, Instagram, or, uh, and by the way, if there's teenagers here right now, they're going, no, 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 no. Don't throw us under the bus. But you got to be 13 years old because the Child Online Privacy Protection Act, all the 11-year-olds right now are going, ah! Luckily, a lot of them are out of the room, so what they know, don't know, doesn't hurt them. But it's crazy because COPA even has this rule that says if some kid's trying to try to sign up for Snapchat and they're only 12 years old and they enter in their birth date, says, sorry, you can't be on this, and they refer them to something else. And their friend goes, no, 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 you just got to write down this year for your birth year. That's why, by the way, now you'll see a lot of college kids that if you look at their Facebook profile, it says they're several years older than they are still. It's because when they signed up, they had to sign up early. It, I mean, a lot of parents don't even have these conversations with their kids. The majority of parents don't have conversations with their kids because they're just like, I don't know. And as we stand here and look at this kind of stuff, and if we're a parent, we're an aunt, we're an uncle, we're a grandparent, I'll tell you, I've never met more grandparents who are involved in raising this generation of young people. And they're sitting there saying, what do I do? And it's funny, as everybody's throwing out guesses, I'll tell you, the one thing that every single expert agrees on is, you know what? We need to have more conversations. So one thing that everybody, no matter how conservative, no matter how liberal, everybody agrees on, we need to have more conversations. And a lot of us are just sitting here, we're honestly like, oh, okay, I'd love to do that, but what, what's that look like today? I mean, honestly, I don't even know what to say. A kid comes up and says, kind of this app. It's like, what? I don't know. So where do we look for guidance? And if we were looking to the Bible for guidance, I mean, how many times have we heard somebody open up the passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is this great passage, which, by the way, thousands of years before all this research basically says, have conversations. 
It says, hey, all these values we want to pass on to our kids, if we want to impress them on our kids, how about you talk with them about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. I mean, and by the way, that's a lot. That's not just drop your kids off at youth group once a week. Just drop them off at the youth room. They'll learn what, no, no, no. As you get up in the morning, as you walk along the road, go to bed at night. And honestly, moms and dads will tell me, Jonathan, um, newsflash, I have a job. I don't know about this. Get up in the morning, walk along the road during the day, all this. Uh, I don't have time for this. Grandparents will tell me, I- I'd like to, but I only see my kids this much. In split homes, parents will say, I only have got them this many days a week. How-, how do I even do this? I'm not in my kids' lives that much. I would like to be, but they go to school. Then they're in sports. We try to get together for some family meals, but I mean, that's a lot of time. I'm not spending that much time with them. Well, someone else is. Matter of fact, interstage left, entertainment media. Entertainment media, and by the way, there's experts out there counting up exactly how much time young people are spending. And the bottom line is if you got a 12 through 17-year-old, the average is nine hours a day. Nine hours a day. Oh, no, they break it down. They actually show exactly, like, for example, on this device alone, on this little device, two hours and 42 minutes a day. And that's just the average. You know, and if you look at this and you say, oh, my kid's not spending that much time. Don't worry. There's another kid whose parents are in this room as well, more than making up for it. All right. You know, that's just the average. And a lot of us, we know this because every time we see young people, they're staring at these devices. And the fact is, and the one thing that even the young people themselves have no idea is that this device is changing everything. This device is changing the way they talk. It's changing self-esteem. Some people are like, Jonathan, are you over-exaggerating here? You know, as this guy, I know you study this stuff all the time, are you sure? Let me just give you one example, the selfie, okay? If I would have said the word selfie five years ago, you would have said, huh? Because it wasn't a word. Literally, in the last five years, there's this thing called the selfie. Now, young people kind of knew about it as it first got on the spectrum, and they started to kind of learn about it, and, and as social media became more prevalent as young people, and by the way, I say five years ago, because think about it, 2012 is really when America started to get these things in their pockets and droves, so that's when it started happening more, because now you could take pictures and send them, post them on social media. That really started happening about five years ago. Selfie, the word selfie probably didn't really get on the map till that famous 2014 Oscar selfie, and now everybody's got a selfie selfies are famous i mean you always hear about like the famous kardashian sister selfie i can never tell them apart can you tell which one's which i they're always i mix them up but the average millennial takes nine selfies a week spending seven minutes on average perfecting each one that's 54 hours of selfies each year that's twenty-five thousand seven hundred selfies in their lifetime this is something that's less than five years old And now, young people with this device that they carry around in their pocket, they've got in their hands all the time. This is now all of a sudden for us that grew up maybe and things were tough and maybe we faced bullying, maybe we faced ridicule at school or or maybe, you know, times were tough because all of a sudden we felt like we always had to measure up. But at least for us, at 2.30, the bell rang and we could go home and have a rest until about 7.30 the next morning. But young people today, they don't get a rest because at 2.30 when the bell rings, they enter a whole new world where they have to measure up, where they can be ridiculed, where all of a sudden, all that matters is getting that thumbs up. And this is the world young people are living in. And they're connected to not just the devices in their pocket, but all kinds of technology all the time. 
where even on, name the technology, you can be hanging out with other people. You know, some of us grew up here and don't talk with strangers. Well, now this is all we do. We get on and we play with strangers. We talk with strangers. And this device is changing everything. And the other question a lot of parents are asking is, okay, if they have access to all this entertainment media, we're talking entertainment media for about nine hours a day on average, what are they gleaning from these sources? If we're not in their lives, I mean, honestly, now, by the way, adults, we're not off the hook. Adults, you know how much time we spend on these devices? <clears throat> more than teenagers. Yeah. The average adult spends more time on these devices than teenagers. Take the big screen on our wall at home. That one's a no-brainer. My generation spends way more time watching that screen than the younger generation. And you know who watches even more time on that screen? My dad's generation. Can't miss Dancing with the Stars and NCIS. Just bummed that Matlock is off. We spend a lot of time staring at entertainment media. The question is, what are we learning from this entertainment media? Is it changing the way young people think? It's interesting. If we look at young people and what they believe now, is it different than five years ago? <laughs> We're going to talk a lot more about that this afternoon. So how do we respond to a culture of young people that are absolutely so saturated in secular culture that it's changing the way they think? Think about this. Whether you're a mom or a dad or an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a parent, and we're sitting there saying, we want to raise our kids right. We want to raise them in the truth. But they're averaging nine hours a day of a lot of different messages. What are they hearing? How do we raise young people in the truth when they're living in a world full of lies? What does that look like? I'll tell you what. Um, there's somebody else who, if we look in Scripture, and I encourage you to open to Acts chapter 17. This device isn't evil. I'm going to open up to my scripture right on this thing right here. Here we go. I love it. Bible app. Actually, the reason I opened a Bible app is because at age 42, my eyes went, and I can adjust the font as big as I want right on this thing. It's pretty bad, literally. It's like, for God so loved the world. But I don't need reading glasses. I love this scripture because the apostle Paul grew up in the church. He grew up being taught, do this, do that. And the Apostle Paul got so tied up in the religion of it all that he actually missed out on a relationship with God. It was uncanny. I don't even know how it happens, but think about it. <laughs> it still happens today. Some people get so caught up in the religion of church, when to stand up, when to sit down, when to do this, when to do that. I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in a church. My seat was right there in the front row. You're in my chair. Right there. That's where I was. I sat there every week because I was the pastor's kid. And man, I could tell you anything. I could tell you what hymn we were going to sing. It's always going to be verses 1, 2, and 4. By the way, if you're ever going to write a hymn, skip verse 3. Nobody sings it. I could tell you when to stand up when to sit down. I knew it all. The Apostle Paul, he knew this stuff. And then something happened. He literally was walking around telling other people, no, here's what to do, and here's how to wash your hands before this. And he's telling other people and persecuting people if they weren't religious enough to the point that God up in heaven, Jesus up in heaven, looks down and goes, I got to talk to this guy. So Jesus shows up, and if we read earlier in the book of Acts, we see it happen in this amazing story. Jesus shows up, and when the apostle Paul, at that time his name was Saul, is walking along, and he sees Jesus, he's blinded, and he hits the ground. And as he's there, blinded, for the first time in his life, ironically, he saw clearly. And he realized, what have I been doing? 
I've been so caught up in religion, I missed out a relationship with God. And when he met Jesus, his life was changed. There's a lot of people in this room can tell that same story. When we met Jesus, our life was changed. Now, this guy saw everything changed about him, even his name, Paul. Paul is walking around, and his life is so changed that as he's talking to people, his message to people changed. It wasn't do this, do that. It was like, hey, I was messed up. But then I met Jesus, and now I can see. And let me tell you something. I used to try to think if I was good enough, blah, blah, blah. But no, let me tell you something. It's all about a relationship with God. And if you have a relationship with God, he'll change you. You don't have to be good enough. He'll change you and he'll make you good enough. It's by nothing you can do. And that was his message. And people were like, I've never heard this before. This is amazing. Wait, you can have a relationship with God? Yeah. Come as you are. If you're messed up, God will change you. It's all about faith and then he will change you. And everybody loved it except for the other religious snobs that were like he was. Whenever they heard his message, they would kick him out. As a matter of fact, right here in Acts 16 and 17, we just saw him. He was imprisoned. He was kicked out of one city, chased out of another. And here he gets to finally Acts chapter 17. And this guy whose life has been radically changed by Jesus, Paul, shows up in Athens. And literally his buddies are probably like, hey, hey, Paul, why don't you just go to your hotel room and stay up there and stay somewhere safe and don't go out because we don't want you to get arrested or chased out of town again. Wait until we arrive. But when Paul gets there, he doesn't wait till his friends arrive. He sees the people of Athens. Hear this. A group of people who in this import-export town had heard so many different messages about so many different gods that they had heard all these different truths out there. You know what the word of the year was last year in America? Actually, Oxford Dictionary is the one who declares the word of the year every year. In 2016, they declared the word of the year because it's always something that represents our society. Year before, it was an emoji. Year before, it was selfie. The word of the year in 2016, post-truth. When they looked at our society, they go, here's a word that describes our society, post-truth. We don't really care about what's actually true, what feels right in the moment. That's our society today. Paul sees a group of people who are so inundated with all these different messages, all these different gods, they were lost and they were looking for something real. And as he walks around, here we are in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, we're going to find out what he does. Read along with me. We're just going to read a couple of verses here. Uh, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Pause right there for a second. Paul walks through the city, and as he's walking around, he literally sees all these idols everywhere. Paul grew up religious, knowing that our one true God doesn't want us looking at any other gods before him, doesn't want us worshiping any other gods. And he's walking around, and he sees these people have got gods everywhere in their lives. They've got these gods, I mean, these idols throughout the city. And when he sees them, his reaction is he's distressed with what he saw. He's heartbroken. The spirit literally just, just, just nudged him. And he's like, wow, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And he was heartbroken. He was distressed as he saw what was going on because he saw an idol to this God, an idol to this God. He even saw this one idol that said to an unknown God. They were so desperate. They're like, just in case we miss one, we'll make an idol to an unknown God. This is how bad it was. So many gods. Sound familiar? And as he's walking around, he's distressed with what he sees. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I glimpse into this window of youth culture 
part of what we do in our ministry for thesourceforparents.com. We've got this free website, and on this website, thesourceforparents.com, all we do is we provide free resources for parents. And we write these articles all the time, glimpsing into the world of youth culture. What's it look like in the typical American home? The typical American home where people are averaging nine hours a day, young people are averaging nine hours a day, gleaning entertainment media. Uh, parents are averaging anywhere, depending on who the study is, from nine hours, 46 minutes to 10 and a half hours a day. I mean, if you walk in the typical American home during dinner time, here's what you'll see. Right after dinner, you'll see parents sitting down watching a big screen. You'll see uh, you know, a teenager sitting there upstairs, probably streaming Netflix or doing something on a smaller screen. You'll see a toddler flicking shapes across another screen. And you'll see the dog on the treadmill because no one will walk him. And when you glimpse into the typical American home and you look at the shows that people are watching and, and the stuff, and by the way, I'm not here to tell you all TV's bad, all this, no, 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 I'm just saying that when you look at a variety of the stuff that's out there, you look at some of the clean family programming that's out there, you know, you know, you look at the stuff that's the favorite stuff that teenagers are watching and all of a sudden you realize, hey, who are there? When you ask them, hey, who is your favorite star, your favorite, and lots of times it's, the, it's these people that they see all the time the most. And even when you look at some of their ex, you know, the, 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 the ex, you know, uh, star of this show. And you look at, well, what are young people learning from the stars of these shows? Are they adopting these values? Are we seeing this in this world? And by the way, I haven't even touched on, you know, the stuff that you get if you actually pay a little extra each month. I'm not even talking about the stuff that you carry around that most young people are watching and streaming all the time right on their devices because it's so handy. And I haven't even touched on the music that we listen to. By the way, if you ask teenagers what's the number one activity you like doing, the, uh, in the Common Sense Media survey, the number one activity they said they liked more than anything else was their music. They love listening to music. Average about two hours a day listening to music. What do they listen to? We as parents, a lot of times we don't know. I mean, we might hear it when we walk into Walmart, when we walk into Target or whatever. We kind of hear the music playing, and we might be aware that, oh, yeah, I mean, I think last year I heard this one song from Rihanna, the work song, the work, work. I, I heard that all the time. I mean, it was like one of the number one songs. It was on the charts more than any other song last year at the top of the charts. And some of us might have even jumped on the Google and went, Rihanna, work, lyrics. You know, we type it in just to kind of see what's going on. And, and you think, well, maybe that'll help clarify, right? Uh, let's, let's try that. Let's type that in now. Rihanna work lyrics, and let's see if this helps clarify. Here we go. Mom, can I listen to work? I don't know. Is it good? Is it bad? <laughs> what did you take away from that song? Nah, 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 nah. So some of us might even go, okay, 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 okay. Rihanna, work, lyrics, meaning, you know, and then we check and we kind of start doing some research and we learn a little bit about it. And that's what we're going to do this afternoon. We're going to look at some stuff and we're going to say, hey, what is it that young people are seeing? What are they gleaning from this? How do we talk with them about this? And it's tough because, I mean, you know, forget last year. If you look at the charts right now, you look at today, literally, what's the top of the charts? You know, you sit there and go, okay, so, so what are young people hearing all the time? What do we hear when we walk into stores, you know? 
You know, the number one song right now is this Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. What is it? I don't even know. The opening lyrics of the song are, the club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Me and my friends at the table doing shots, drinking fast, and we talk slow. I'm in love with the shape of you. We push and pull like a magnet do, although my heart is falling too. I'm in love with your body. And last night you were in my room, and now my bed sheets smell like you. Well, there's a conversation starter. So let's go to number two, humble. Ah, humble. And it's by Kendrick Lamar, who, by the way, is a, a rapper who will often talk about Jesus. As a matter of fact, your kids might even come and say he's a Christian rapper because they've heard at the front of some of his songs, he literally pronounces that Jesus has changed his life. And I'm telling you, I'm just honest. I'm just being legit with you. This is tough. Chance the Rapper, Kendrick Lamar, Kanye West. Uh, uh, Kanye West has got awards and said, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so our kids are kind of confused. They're like, wait a second, I think that is. I, he, he even wants to live like him. And then you look at this music video, there's a lot of religious themes there. And you're kind of going, what is this? And then when you look at the lyrics, even the chorus, which by the way, it's Sunday morning and I kind of reviewed. I said, what stuff can we actually throw out? I'm going to save this song for this afternoon. Let's just say that one, okay? A lot of you guys are going to Google those ones right now. And yeah, be warned. We'll talk about that one. Or you got I Spy right on there right now featuring this guy and his little buddy over here, which we might know from this song uh, that our kids actually know from a song, you know, called Broccoli. I love it. Grandparents are always like, oh, good, a song about vegetables. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother topic. We're not going there right now. Um, you know, or, oh, well, finally, a song where I can show the lyrics, a clean song. Yeah, this one's clean, you know. This is, a, this is the cleanest song on the charts. Uh, the way she fit in them blue jeans, she don't need no belt, but I can turn them inside out. I don't need no help. Got hips like honey, so thick and sweet, and ain't curves like hers and down to the street. Now, this is either the Song of Solomon, <laughs> and I hope he's married, but I don't know. I mean, it's a conversation starter, sure. Uh, I mean, you know, and then you get to these guys here who are all over the charts for the last couple of years. All you see is the chain smokers, the chain smokers, the chain smokers. You don't even have to be from Colorado to be familiar with chain smokers now. I mean, it's just the chain smokers. You know, this is, that was a little joke there, by the way. That was a little marijuana joke. There. Anyway, so anyway, sorry, I'm, it's too early for me in California. But, the, but it's funny because in a world now where the word of the year is post-truth, chain smokers, it's funny, that song, uh, Paris, is literally about this you know, forget what reality is. Let's live for the moment and just kind of, just kind of forget about our parents, forget about our troubles and just live this other life. Paris is this metaphor for life as we want it to be, not as it is. And it's funny because when you kind of look at some of the stuff or you think of the stuff we watch together as families and you look at what we're learning from it, heck, if we were sitting down during the Super Bowl, we probably saw this commercial. And our kids know the commercial really well, and they actually know it well because they knew her from when she was on Nick. We grew up because this is a child role model, and all we know is all those TV child role models turn out to be really good. Um, and uh, so she's got this song side to side. It's like this number. Every every kid hears what what's that song? We'll dive into that song this afternoon too a little bit and just kind of give you a peek. Because here's the crazy thing. Our young people are hearing this stuff all the time. And, and by the way, the young people that are sitting here in the service are talking about, they're going to come up with their, you know, well, I don't listen to the hearing. You know, I mean, we, that's what they always say. That's what we said, right? 
the, the fact is the common parental response to this is overreaction. A lot of us agree with that part with what the Apostle Paul saw when he saw all the different influences in these people's lives. For him, he was distressed with what he saw. That barely describes, man, when it's our own kids, it's our own grandkids. What's this generation of this young people that we care so much about? For us, it's like, we are mad. We're like, this guy, all right? This guy was a dad whose daughter talked some smack about the family online on Facebook, and he decided, him being in IT like he was, when his daughter went off to school, he decided to hack into her Facebook page and post a little post of his own. Here's just a glimpse of what he posted. Ridiculous. Not happening. Disrespectful to me, your mother, your stepmother, your family, your friends, and yourself. So... I'm going to put a stop to it, and I'm going to put a stop to it right now. That right there is your laptop. You see it's out here on the ground. This right here is my 45. That was the first round. That guy's from Indiana. I I think I passed his farm on the way in here. I'm pretty sure, right, right? See, I, I tell you, and a lot of us, I tell you, some of us dads in here, we're all like, no, 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 45, nothing. You need a shotgun for that. You get your friend to hug that puppy up in the air, and you yell, pull, and of course, that's the way you all sound in Indiana, right? That's right. All of a sudden, now, I'm from California, and you guys are all Larry the Cable Guy, I guess, so. But see, the thing that we don't think about as parents is, let me tell you something, I have a PhD in overreaction. So many times with my kids, I'm like, let, no, enough, let me... Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I I thought, let me just lecture because this will teach them. But see, there's a common response to overreaction. When we overreact, what we don't realize is there's this teenage response to our overreaction because all of a sudden they realize, oh man, can't talk to dad, can't talk to mom. They don't understand. And so they get quiet. They kind of, you know, avoid us. They'll sneak out and they'll do it anyway. And this is so tough because as parents, a lot of us are sitting there going, well, what do we do? I mean, I, I don't want them hearing this stuff. And what am I supposed to do? Allow them to listen. I, I don't understand. Well, let's go back to what scripture Let's look what Paul did. Paul was dealing with a group of people who were saturated in lies. How did he respond? We just saw that he saw all these idols. He was distressed with what he saw. Verse 17. Let's see if he's going to start tipping over idols. Let's see. Let's see. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. As a matter of fact, if we keep reading, we'll see that he starts talking with these guys and chatting with these guys. As a matter of fact, if we keep reading, and by the way, I'm, I'm watching the clock, although I do love it that you guys only have one service because I can talk as long as I want. Oh, but, but, but let's just keep it to a minimum. As we sit there and we look, we see him and he starts talking and, and he starts talking, and we actually get a glimpse of his message, probably one of the most famous messages in the Bible, maybe second only to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And when he talks, to them, he stands up on Mars Hill, and he basically says this. He basically says, people of Athens, wow, you guys are religious. I mean, why? I, I, I'm seeing all your idols here. I mean, you got idols to all these different gods. I, I even noticed you have an idol that says, to an unknown God. Let me tell you about him, because I know who he is. This unknown God that you've been worshiping all along, He's not made of bronze or stone like these other gods. He's the one God who's always been, who created you. And he starts telling them a little bit about God. He doesn't freak out. 
he doesn't start tipping over idols, but he reasons with them and he starts dialoguing with them, even using their idolatry as a springboard for his conversation about truth. Matter of fact, look, if we look a little further, go down to verse 28. And in verse 28, he says, for in him we, ready? He goes, live and move and have our own being. And some of your own poets have said, there's quotes right there. We are his offspring. You know what those quotes are right there? Those are Little Wayne lyrics right there. Those are Lady Gaga lyrics. Well, whoever Little Wayne and Lady Gaga was 2,000 years ago. It was the pagan poets of the day. So it was Little Antonius, you know, whoever it was, all right? The rapper of the day, Okay. He quotes little, Anto- little Antonius made it into scripture because Paul uses Little Antonius lyrics to start talking about truth. And I'll tell you something, we as parents, maybe we can learn a little something, something from this because we're raising a generation of young people who are so saturated in lies and a lot of us are sitting there saying, what can we do? And instead of freaking out, the Apostle Paul shows that his response was instead of overreacting, he interacted. And what if we as parents and as grandparents, as people that care about this generation, instead of freaking out, what if we look for opportunities to have conversations? What if we turned our lecturing to listening? Tell you, you watch like Dr. Phil. It's so funny all the time. Somebody will be up there and going, yeah, so I did this and this and this. And they'll talk about all this, their philosophy of life. And Dr. Phil will always do something. He won't ridicule them. He won't do anything. Dr. Phil will be like, so how's that working out for you? Just ask them questions. And all of a sudden engages them in this dialogue. I wrote this uh, book um, a couple years ago that got a, got a raise, uh, raised a little, little bit of, little, little, little controversy in the, and just because of the title, the title was uh, the Zombie Apocalypse Survival Guide for Teenagers. Um, and some people were like, zombies, aren't those evil? What is that? You know what this book is? This book is a fictional story of three teenagers whose parents aren't there standing over their shoulder making decisions for them. It's three teenagers out on their own trying to figure life out. And in every situation they get to, the question they're asking is, what is right? What do we do? And so every little chapter is a chapter and then discussion questions in scripture. It's our daily bread for teenagers, all right? It's just a, like story, scripture, that's, that's all it is. It's taking modern day situations and saying, hey, guess what? And it's funny, it's even using a fictional premise to talk about the stuff that's going on in this world and how do we decide what to do. We need to start having some of these conversations and we need to stop freaking out. I hear parents all the time, they say, oh, I got home and I found out that my, my kids were looking at this online. And it's hard because how do you respond when you find out that they were watching something they shouldn't have been watching or doing something, disobeying? And it's hard because, you know, maybe if we were the overly permissive parent, we'd just be like, oh, watch whatever you want. Well, that, that doesn't sound good. Or if we were the overprotective parent, we would tip over all the devices and say, fine, we're going to Amish, Pennsylvania. Oh, wait, that doesn't work. And so a lot of us were like, what do we do? And we've tried overreaction, and that doesn't work. What if we, instead of freaking out, what if we turned our overreaction into interaction? Let me tell you something. If we find that we've got a young man in the house who kind of was looking at some pictures because he was curious, that's not a time to overreact. That's a time to engage in some conversations about truth. I'll tell you what, if we found that our son was looking at some pictures he shouldn't have been looking at, maybe that's a good time to sit there and say, hey, you know, 
So, so tell me, tell, tell me a little about what's going on. Maybe if our kid opened up to us, they'd go, I don't know, I just, I just wanted to. I just, it just, I wanted to see. And what if we sat down and said, well, let me tell you about the way God made you. God made you so that someday you're going to meet a special girl. And I'll tell you something, you are just going to be like coming unglued. You're just going to be like going crazy. Because the way God wired us is that when we see that perfect woman, that, that, as a matter of fact, let me just open up some scripture, and you can open up scripture, and you can go right, let me start at the beginning, boom, you can start, look at, here, here's the beginning, in the beginning, when God created everything, he creates a naked man, this is a good passage, relevant, you know, naked man, and then God says, it's not good for him to be alone, poof, naked girl, hey, oh yeah, this is good, it's getting good, it gets better, God's like, go forth and multiply, or in today's language, you can do it, all right, I mean, that's, that's it. And Adam was like, I'm already on it. Thank you. No, you didn't even need to. That's one command you didn't even need to tell me. All right? You know? Because she looks good. It's okay. This is, this is, and guess what? And he says, you two will be joined together and have this special bond. But then you could flip to Proverbs. You could go to Proverbs chapter 5. There's this passage that talks about men and how much we can enjoy our wives. And because there might be some young people sitting here this morning and I'll let you make the decision how much you want to go into this passage. It's very explicit. It's very explicit describing how much they will enjoy each other's sexual relationship. But it goes on and says, why would you be enticed by, I'll paraphrase, the body of a promiscuous woman when you've got this young wife here that you can hang out with and love and be with? And, and what if we read our son that passage and said, hey, look, it, God's got something special for us. He's got this and... He doesn't want us looking at this, this, and this. What, what, you know? And what if we engaged in a dialogue? I've freaked out so many times in my kids. My three kids, I've got um, 19, 21, 23-year-old. My 23-year-old has walked away from his faith. And I look back at the conversations. They weren't dialogues. They were monologues. Me barking at my son. And I look back with so much regret, and I wish I would have, if I had a do-over, if I had a do-over. It's funny, I literally pulled hundreds of parents and asked them as I was writing this book I just wrote, if I had a parenting do-over. And I said, if you could go back in time and change one thing, what would you change? The number one answer, all kinds of different answers, hundreds of answers. Number one answer was, I wish I would have hung out with my kid more. I wish we would have had more family meals. Wish we would have had more conversations. Wish we would have more time not sitting in front of the TV, but with the TV off and going and doing something outside. One mom said, I wish instead of sitting on the sand watching my kids play in the ocean, I would have played in the ocean with them. Less than 2% of parents said, I wish I would have been more strict with my kids. The majority were like, I wish I would have hung out and had conversations. And it's funny, it's biblical. You guys, all through the scripture, it talks about this. This is what Jesus himself did. He came down in flesh. It's the Christmas message. God incarnate, he came down and he dwelt among us. And you see Jesus, he's out there and he was talking with people. He was engaging in dialogue. And I tell you what, Jesus did it. The apostle Paul did it. And if you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, someone who cares about young people today, we need to look for these doors of dialogue. And I tell you, when it comes to how should we respond, the apostle Paul gave us a very good example of not freaking out, but turning overreaction into interaction. And we can open up these doors of dialogue in our homes. Oh, it's not instantaneous. Trust me, 
It's not like the first thing you ask your kids, you're going to say something, they're going to be like, ah, that's whatever, upstairs. You're like, ah, I tried. And that's why we're going to dive into a lot of this this afternoon. What's this look like? How do you, in a world full of explicit lies, share the explicit truth? What does this look like? Um, let's pray this morning. Lord God, I just thank you for your love. Uh, this is tough, this whole journey of raising young people. And so, God, we come before you, honestly, broken people, scared people, ill-equipped. God, some of us, we've tried to have these conversations, and they just, we don't know what to say. We don't know what to ask. God, we need you so bad. God, for some of us, uh, it might start with us and our journey with you. Maybe for many of us, the thing is that we've tried it our own way, and we've realized our way doesn't work, and we need you so desperately. We might need that Apostle Paul conversion experience. God, will we just fall on our face and say, Jesus, I've tried it on my own. I just, my way doesn't work. I want to give it to you. Jesus, please, I put my faith in you. Forgive me for my past. I give you my future. If you want to pray that prayer, you can pray that prayer, by the way. You don't have to say some special words. You could just tell God, God, I don't have all the answers, but I know I need help. And I know you're the answer. Forgive me of my past. I give you my future. You don't have to have everything all fixed. God will do the fixing. You just got to allow him to do that. If you want to pray that, pray that now. God, you, uh, you hear these prayers, you see our hearts. You see that a lot of us, that this whole journey begins with us getting right with you. And God, those of us who we've already even taken that step, God, we need to daily come to you and allow you to work through us so that we can reflect you, the truth, in a world so potent with lies. God, help us to point to you in our actions as we fumble about these words and try to have answers for a young generation today. God, we give this all to you. We pray this in your precious name. And all God's people said, hey, I hope to see a bunch of you at three o'clock today.